So we are dealing with this book, Colossians. Colossians 2, verse 13 and 15, or through 15, listen to the Scripture, which says this, and you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And in the passage today, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. This passage says we were dead, but God made us alive together with Christ. He canceled out the record of debt nailed it to the cross, and he disarmed the rulers and authorities. And that's referring to the hierarchy of demons, disarmed the demonic host by putting them to open shame and triumphing over them in Christ by the cross. So the next three weeks, I'm going to just deal with this verse and, and the attendant realities of that verse. And uh, we're going to talk about spiritual warfare. There's a little book called the Screwtape Letters, first released in 1941, written by a man named C.S. Lewis, who undoubtedly was one of the most influential spokesmen for the Christian faith in the 20th century. He died in November of 1963. But Lewis wrote this book in 1941, released. He said it was a labor that took years out of his life because his letters written supposedly from a senior demon to some junior demons. And in the very first letter, he talks about a man who was reading a book in the Metropolitan Library. And Lewis says, as you read the book, he started thinking about eternal things. And the demon saw that he was going down the wrong road that would lead him to sober thinking and to consider the claims of Christ. And then he says, we hit him with one of our strongest ploys. We hit him with this fact, I am hungry. I'm hungry. And I can deal with this after lunch. And so he got up and he went outside. And as soon as he got outside, he was confronted with the newsboy shouting out the headlines of the day, which they used to do. Streetcars going up and down the street, people hustling and bustling, and he forgot about what he was thinking about. And then he says this, which I thought was very interesting. He says, they, people, find it all but impossible to believe in the unfamiliar while the familiar is before their eyes. They find it all but impossible to think about the unfamiliar or eternal things when they just had their eyes fixed here and now. And not, so the next few weeks, I want us to really think about these things, eternal realities. I want us to think about what it means when it says here, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by the cross. Now, in this whole issue of spiritual warfare. There are a lot of books out there on spiritual warfare. Some are very good, some are good, and some are, are not good, and some are just really bad. But, but there, are, there are two extremes. And the, the extreme number one would be uh, people that, that just discount the supernatural. They say, well, the, the, I know the Bible talks about demons. I know the Bible talks about putting on the full armor of God. But, but really, uh, that was a pre-scientific mind. Now, now we're, we're beyond the first century. We're way beyond the Enlightenment. We were scientific people. 
So this, this is a reflection of a pre-scientific world and life view that eh, we're, not, we're not there. Um, that the other extreme is, is, and these are well-meaning people over here, but they go beyond the biblical record. And whenever you go beyond the biblical record uh, in dealing with this issue or any issue, you find yourself in a place that can be very difficult, if not even wrong. So, so my, my argument is to stay somewhere around here. I mean, just be biblical, but understand, like Paul says in Ephesians 6, that we don't primarily battle against flesh and blood. This is a strong statement. But against the thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities of this fallen world. In fact, one thing that I think has been very helpful is a book written by a guy named Clinton Arnold, and I get this illustration from him. He teaches at Biola and outside of Los Angeles. He says that, that we all as believers in Christ, battle three elements. The worldly system with its continual drag on our thinking, the flesh or indwelling sin, more about that later, but we all deal with indwelling sin and the devil and his host. And where one leaves off and the other takes over or one ceases and one jumps on the bandwagon, you can't really tell but we simultaneously deal with the world and the flesh and the devil. And so in this continuum, understand that there are people that just discount it or people that, are, that, that really discount the glory and the authority and the power of the cross. Jesus defeated the devil on the cross. Right here, he put him to open shame. He defanged the adversary. We're going to talk about that. So again, in the preface to the Screwtape Letters, this is what Lewis says, and I think it's so true. He says, they themselves, the devils, are equally pleased by both errors. They they hail, or they are glad, for a materialist who discounts it, or a magician who goes beyond the biblical record and really enters the cross of his power. Both places, they dishonor Christ. So, So my plea for us is to be people of of, of, of the book, but we fight against an adversary who wants to drink us down. John Calvin, who died in 1564, uh, this is what Calvin says, this is the quote in the worship guide. He says, we've been forewarned, I have this little quote in, the, in, the, on, on the, in my prayer folder, we've been forewarned that an enemy relentlessly, relentlessly threatens us. An enemy who is the very embodiment of rash boldness, of military prowess, and of crafty wiles, of untiring zeal and haste, of every conceivable weapon and skill in the science of warfare. And then he says this, we must then bend our every effort to this goal that we should not let ourselves be overwhelmed by carelessness or faint-heartedness, but on the contrary with zeal or with courage, rekindled, stand our ground in combat. And since this military service ends only at death, let us urge ourselves to perseverance. Those are strong words. Untiring, an enemy who with, with, uh, relentlessly threatens us, who is the embodiment of rash boldness. Therefore, we must bend our every effort. We, we fight an enemy. Or I love the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 13, article 2. It says this. 
This sanctification, or God's work in our life to make us holy. Okay, listen. This sanctification is throughout the whole man, yet it is imperfect in this life. There abides still some remnant of corruption in every part. Whereas arises a continuous and irreconcilable war. So what it says is this. No matter how much you want to be pleasing to the Lord and honor Him, no matter how much you fast and lay yourself out for obedience, you will deal with sin till the day you die. I have never lived a day where I could not have been better or done better. But because I deal with sin in my body. So there is in the most sanctified, Christ-honoring person here, and, and, and this, in, the, in the sanctuary, we reserve that the third row are for those people. So if you're on the third row, that's, that's, the, that's who we are, okay? Look at the third row, and there you are. Thank you very much. No matter how committed you are to the things, you still deal with sin, which keeps you humble, which makes me want to run to the cross for refreshment and grace and power. Therefore, we must be people who remember and will fully wear and we do not forget. So, here's the question. Colossians 2 says, he has defeated the devil and put him to open shame. And that's accomplished through the cross. Listen to Matthew chapter 12. This is Christ speaking. He says this, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Now, how is Satan, so I'm not Satan here, how is Satan bound? By the life of perfect obedience of Jesus and his death upon the cross. Matthew 4, Luke 4, the temptation of Christ in the wilderness. Fast 40 days. The devil comes to him after 40 days of fasting, which is so unbelievable. And the devil says to Jesus, I know you're hungry. If you truly are the son of bread, why don't you command this stone to become bread? And Christ says, Satan, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. Boom. Right hand uppercut. It says, Okay, um, go to the top of the temple, jump off the temple. And then Satan quotes Psalm 91. He says, you know, the, the, the Bible says in Psalm 91 that he will guard you with his angels and they will hold you up. So, so just prove the Son of God, jump off the temple top and let angels rescue you, let everybody see it, and wow. And Jesus says, but Satan, the Bible says... You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Body blow. And Satan shows him all the kingdoms of the world and said, if you just fall down and worship me, I'll give you all these things. I think that really ticked off Jesus. I think at that point, Satan, Jesus said, that's enough. This thing about bread and, and, and angels, that's one thing that's just stupid, but this is blasphemy. 
He said, Satan, you shall only worship Abba Father. How dare you say that? Boom. And it says the, the devil withdrew until an opportune time. So body blow, body blow, body blow, opportune time. So throughout the life of Christ, there are other temptations. We know one temptation is in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night Jesus is betrayed. And we read it in Matthew chapter uh, 26. Okay, who needs glasses? I, I do, but that's beside the point. So Matthew 26, um, Christ goes with his Peter, James, and John to Gethsemane, and he says to the men, my soul is sorrowful, even to the point of death. You remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, Here's the body blow. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will, Abba Father. And one gospel says that his, his sweat became like blood. But see, the body blow, Lord, I don't want to go through this because, because in some way I don't fully understand, church. When Christ was a sin bearer on the cross, he was separated from the love of Abba Father because he became a sin offering for us. And in that incredible moment, he covered my sin. But, but it was a, a horrible, Christ did not fear, as it were, necessarily the scourging, the beating, the, 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 corn, the, 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 the crown of thorns, the nails through the hands, the, the, the spitting, the cat calls. What pushed him to the point of horror was being separated from the Father. And yet he said, but not as what I will, it's yours. Showing us how to live. And then later in the passage, it says, again for the second time, he went away and he prayed, my Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Boom. Then he came to his disciples who were sleeping, and he said, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. The betrayer is at hand. And so, boom, boom. But the cross, listen, the cross was the coup de grace. Coup de grace. Boom. The cross was the final reality. Body blow, body blow, body blow, body blow, cross, Boom. On the cross, Satan and his minions and their desires were mortally wounded. So, so doing some research, came across this article. This is from National Geographic and Reuters. It's published March 29th of this year. It's a wild story. Sulawesi is an island in northern Indonesia. In Sulawesi, um, there are pythons that grow to be 23 to 28 feet. And so in Sulawesi, there was a 25-year-old man who worked in the, the oil, the, uh, what was it called? The oil, palm oil business. Yeah, palm oil. He harvested palm oil from trees. Um, he went missing. They couldn't find him. 
Uh, we looked all over the place, and um, they discovered this python, 23-foot python with a big bulge in the stomach. If, you, if, you, if you're squeamish, you may want to stop listening. So they, they, they killed a python, and this is on YouTube by National Geographic, slowly cut open his stomach, and there's the remains of a man. They did testing. It was a 25-year-old a palm oil worker in Subtle. We see who went out at night, stepped in what he thought was a hole, was killed and eaten. Amazing. And this is what the article said, which talked about interviewing people who dealt with snake PhDs, whatever they're called. And then it says, this is the last sentence I thought was, which is an understatement. Palm oil harvesters in Salawisi are reportedly staying home after this horrific incident. I would too. I would stay home. Um, but here's this man. So, so I tell you that because here's the illustration I use. This, this is a true story, but this underscores the fact this is a true story. So in Indonesia years ago, uh, a family came home one day to their small home, and there was a python stretched from the back door through the front door, big snake. And so the family understandably thought, we really won't be able to sleep well tonight with a python in our home. And so they called 1-800-PYTHON-KILLER. And so the, the, the python killing squad came in, and really it's a true story. A man crept up, straddled the python, and took a huge spear and plunged it through the, the head and the, the brain of the python. And the python started going back and forth, huge movements, knocked over chairs and cabinets and uh, beds and whatever created incredible havoc. See, that is a picture of the devil. The devil has been dealt a mortal blow by the death of Jesus on the cross, by his perfect obedience, which includes his death upon the cross for our sins. The devil is mortally wounded, but he still wants to drink us down. In fact, that's why my definition for spiritual warfare is this. It is, um, spiritual warfare is the daily battle, every day, against a mortally wounded enemy who tirelessly works to destroy the kingdom of God and our joy and our happiness and our usefulness. And we should be aware of this and, 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 and walk in that reality. So I'm going to give you three broad points, and I'll work these out in the next two weeks. The first is this. As believers, we operate from a place of authority and strength. Here's the beginning point. First John 4, 4, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You have the Holy Spirit. You have union with Jesus Christ. You are in Him. Greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. Hebrews chapter 2 says this, Since then the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death He might render powerless Him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free us from our fear of death. 
So, so, so part of the fact of being a child of God as we see loved ones in the Lord die, we don't grieve with utter abandonment like those who have no hope and who believe that to breathe and to go into eternity is to just be absorbed by nothingness and a great cauldron of blackness. No, we believe that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we grieve, but not like those who have no hope. See, we have resources. We have authority. In John chapter 12, listen to these words. This is Christ. So he says, this, 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 this is the week he's betrayed and crucified. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, this is the purpose. I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Boom. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. <clears throat> and the crowd stood there, and they heard it. <clears throat> as if it had thundered, and some says, others said, no, no, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered, no, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now is the ruler of this world cast out. And when I'm, when I'm lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. See, Jesus says, now, this is the coup de grace, the cross. The mortal blow. Now. Hear that? Now, John. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. We have authority and strength. Remember that. So, one of my, not just me, but one of the most glorious hymns ever written is by a guy named Martin Luther. Um, entitled, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. It was written 10 years after Luther started the Reformation. Luther's name is a household name throughout Europe, especially Germany. Uh, the amount of material Luther produced put everybody else in second, third, and fourth place. He was a, an incredible producer of work. And, so, so here's Luther 10 years after he's married by this time. He has a son and I think a daughter. A daughter just been born, a daughter named Elizabeth. Elizabeth. And so, but, but, but in the course of a few months, the Black Plague hits his village. People are dying everywhere. His home becomes a hospital. His uh, daughter, Elizabeth, nine months old, dies. His son Hans is deathly sick. And some of his friends, for some reason, walk away from him. And, and so Luther is in deep despair. Luther dealt with depression his whole life. Now, some of you deal with depression, you have friends that deal with depression. It's a horrible thing to deal with. Luther dealt with depression his whole life. And this is what he writes. This is Martin Luther. This is Martin Luther. In the midst of this, this is what he says. He's writing to Philip Melanchthon, his best friend. He says, I spent more than a week during this period, it's a three-month period, in death and hell. My entire body was in pain, and I still tremble. I felt completely abandoned by Christ. This is Martin Luther. 
I labored under the vacillation and storms of desperation and blasphemy against God. But through the prayers of the saints or his friends, God began to have mercy on me and he pulled my soul from the inferno below. That's Martin Luther. In the midst of this, he writes this hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. This is one stanza. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear. For God has willed his truth to triumph through us. Do you hear that? The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure. For lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. One little word. And people say, throughout church history, they've said, well, what's the little word? Luther never tells us. I think, I'll, uh, I, think, I think the little word is just the word of Scripture. The, word, the little word could be atonement, forgiveness of sin, the grace of Jesus, the power of the cross. But Luther says, you make a beeline to the cross. Here's a man who says, I felt abandoned by Christ, and I thought of uttering blasphemies against the living God, but I ran to Jesus. One of the greatest books ever written, I think, is a book called Pilgrim's Progress by a guy named John Bunyan who was in jail for preaching the gospel, a British Baptist. It's a metaphorical account of a man going to heaven. And John Bunyan says that early, early in the book, the, the, the guy going to heaven is a guy named Pilgrim, and, and Pilgrim is pretty early in the book, he, he's going to a place called Palace Beautiful, which we think represents the church. He wants to be with the fellowship of the saints. He wants to be with God's people. And so as he's going down the path, to Palace Beautiful, this is what happens. He looks up, this is an artist's rendition, obviously, of this metaphor. Uh, he comes, the path goes right between two lions, roaring lions. And Pilgrim steps back, says, whoa, I can't go there. And in Bunyan's, Bunyan always has a preacher come in to straighten him out. And God does the same thing today, sends preachers to straighten you guys out. So we've got a preacher comes in named Watchful. And this is what Watchful says to Pilgrim. He says this, are your strength and courage so small? Don't be afraid of the lions since they are chained. Hear that? They're chained. They are there for the purpose of testing your faith at this point in your journey, as well as discovery of those who have no faith. And Watson says, hey, hey, pilgrim, stay on the path. And if you stay on the path, these lions are chained, and they can't get you. They can't get you. You have resources. Stay on the path. See, this happened to me when I was five years old. I was five years old. My parents were visiting some other adults, and I don't know where my brother was, but I was by myself. And uh, I, I didn't, want, didn't want to go inside and have people with adult conversation. I'm five. So my parents said, you can play in the front yard, but if you look in the backyard, there's a, a German shepherd tethered to a heavy chain. Don't go in the backyard. Okay? Yes, yes sir. Yes, ma'am. So I'm in the front yard for a few minutes. 
And that dog, it's like he had a magnet in his body drawing me over there. So I go back and start looking at the dog and doing things with the dog. I mean, I don't know what I did. But, but where the dog chained and let him go was just bare earth. Outside of that was nice, beautiful grass. Well, I'm having fun, whatever I'm doing at age five. And I look down, and I'm standing on bare earth. And the dog lunges for me, grabs my ear, have to go to the ER eight, eight stitches later. I leave with a great sermon illustration for 45 years down the road, or 45, whew, uh, 58 years down the road. So, 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 the Puritans use this illustration that, that Satan is like a chained lion, and there are places of deep darkness that you just don't go into because you put yourself in his realm of influence. I, I, so that's what I'm saying. We've got to be very careful. We've got to be mindful. I mean, in some of the areas of deep darkness, we can wink at. I mean, there are play times when I have said things that were defaming of a person's character. And according to James 2 and 3, that destroys people. So we, we can wink at certain things. We, there are certain things that we can't. But, but, but we, we've got to be aware and run to the Christ and the resources that are found in Christ. Once again, the, the, the devil delights, according to Lewis, in a materialist who discounts him or a magician who gives him way too much authority. We run to Christ. The second point, very quickly. The second point. If you read about spiritual warfare very long, you're going to have people that have these debates. The hot debate is, can a Christian be possessed by the devil or a demon? Um, and my answer for what it's worth, <clears throat> and there are many people that say yes to that, but I, I say the answer is no, because Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. I just start there. I, I just start there. But I believe in reading the Bible and church history that a Christian can leave off the watch, can become, for lack of a better word, not very hot and lukewarm, and can be severely oppressed by a demon. Therefore, we've got to guard ourselves and be very careful and be aware of demonic forces. I always go to Romans 7. This, this is a controversial passage. In Romans 7, I believe the Apostle Paul is writing about his own experience as a Christian. This is the Apostle Paul. Okay, this is the Apostle Paul. And, and this is what it says in Romans 7. For I delight... It's a good word. I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. But, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And then, then he says this, this plaintive cry, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Now, in all honesty, I cried that out, not again, 
same argument with the same issues in marriage. Here we go again. God, I did it again. That's, that's my cry. So, so the issue is we can't be possessed, but we can't be severely oppressed. Therefore, we've got to be aware of Satan's strongholds and his machinations. More about that in the next two weeks. But brothers and sisters, you're never done with sin. You're never done with sin. Or the, the reaches of sin. You just aren't. As Calvin says, the warfare is not over until you die. Then it's done. One of the glories of heaven is no more sin. Point number three. Repentance restores and authenticates my faith. See, the question is, when a Christian falls into sin, how do we really know that I'm a Christian when I fall into sin? The answer is, I do not stay there. If you're a child of God, you repent. If you live in sin, under the attack of the devil, and there's no remorse or regret or repentance or sorrow in your heart, it's a good sign you don't know the Lord. Listen to John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. It's pretty clear. If they were believers, they would have continued in faith. And then 1 John 3 says this, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, bracket, without repentance. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. So, so what's the sign of my salvation? That sin bothers me, and I run from it, and I repent and turn away. Huge issue. Th therefore, I must be a person who's known as a repenting person. And that's where my, my, my plea is, God, may my heart break over those things which break your heart. This is just a hard sermon. There, there's, just, there's nothing to be light about. It's just a hard issue. Through the years, I've watched numerous movies that have absolutely thunderstruck me regarding the Holocaust. I was thinking this, this week about the movies that I've watched that have most impacted me and uh, Schindler's List, okay. uh, Sophie's Choice, incredible movie, powerful movie, uh, The Boy in the Striped Pajamas, an amazing movie, The Music Box, 1988. Now, I say that because there's a new movie that's just come out that several people have recommended to me. I haven't seen it. called The Zookeeper's Wife. It's about uh, a, a Polish woman in Warsaw whose husband is the zookeeper who saves many, many Jews from the ovens of the Nazis. And if you study the history of Poland, Poland was absolutely decimated by the Nazis. Millions of Poles were killed, including many, 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 many Jews. 
So every time I see one of these movies, I say to myself, self, I'm never going to watch one of those movies again. Because when I watch it, it just unhinges me. I mean, it's just hours or maybe a day where I'm just, I, I, I'm thunderous. I, I know these things, I know these things historically, but to really understand man's inhumanity to their fellow man by a very advanced, blessed culture absolutely destroys me. And yet, I'll step back and say, those things are good for my heart. Example. Several years ago, uh, I had the privilege of speaking to a missions group, uh, a group of missionaries in Thailand. We've been there several times. And, and there's a place south of Bangkok called Pattaya. And Pattaya is um, a, a resort area um, that we now believe is run by the Russian mafia. Um, but anyway, it's a place of runaway carnality. And in God's providence, the Baptists years ago bought an encampment in Pattaya, and there's a Baptist conference center there, very rustic, where you can go and stay for a week, and it's very cheap. So I, I was speaking to this conference to about 100 people in Pattaya. And Pattaya has a street, kind of like the French Quarter in New Orleans, except it makes the French Quarter look like Sunday school. There's every type of carnality you can imagine. I mean, just boom, everything. And it's for sale. And they're trying to recruit you and pull you into their places. And there's a wonderful missionary there named Robert Watson, a dear, dear brother in the Lord who'd been on the field for 30 years or so at that time. And, and I said to Robert, I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go down that street. He says, Buster, he says, I want you to think about something. I would like for you to go with me and another man here. Just walk down that street tonight. And uh, it'll take 10 minutes and we'll, we'll come back. Walk down the street uh, and see what's going on. He says, it'll be good for you because it's good for your heart to be broken. As you see what people are giving themselves to, it's good to have your heart broken. And I know I speak to you. You're in the marketplace. You're with people all the time who are making bad decisions. But, 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 but so, sometimes you, you read this stuff and you need to say, you know, it is good for my heart to be broken. I need to watch these movies occasionally. I, I need to be aware of the, the, the runaway issue of drug abuse in our culture that's killing tens of thousands of young people every year. I need to be aware of the skyrocketing suicide rate among kids aged 10 to 14. It's, 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 it's skyrocketing. I need to be aware of the runaway destruction of the family and so forth and so on. Instead of I need, to, I, need to, I need to grieve over my sin and the sin of my culture. And there's this passage in James chapter 4 that's just kind of, James says God gives grace to those who are humble, and then he says this. He says, starting in verse 7, Submit yourselves, therefore, to the Lord. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Here's a promise. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. 
Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And I read that and I go, there are, times, there are times when you put aside the Saturday night live hilarity and the comic zone feeds and you soberly think about the things that break the heart of God. In my life, in my behavior, in the behavior of my culture. And I grieve, mourn, and I wail. And I turn my silly joy to mourning. So, so that's what I'm saying, that, that repentance, I need to be a repenting man. Repentance restores me to fellowship with God, and it authenticates my faith. So we make a beeline to the cross, we listen to Bunyan, and we stay in the path, and, and, and we go through our, our days saying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, and we say, glory be to the reality of the cross. We say, I'll hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels and men and women fall on their face before him, because he's glorious. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the day, thank you for the word of God. Lord, um, forgive me for not understanding the warfare that rages about me. Uh, Forgive us for not uh, crying out, Jesus, have mercy. Forgive us for thinking that evil around us is only the result of a lack of economic opportunity or only the result of a lack of education or only the result of a lack of whatever. Help us realize that evil is evil and is deep and is horrible and it breaks your heart. And Lord, we say today and we say together, it is good to have your heart broken. It is good to be a person of biblical sobriety who runs to the cross. So this week, help us to point people to the cross and help us to sing with our hearts, I'll hail the power of the glorious name of King Jesus. Amen.